0: Welcome everyone to Two Guys to the Dark Tower Came, a podcast where we discuss the characters, connections, and deeper meanings of Stephen King's Magnum Opus, The Dark Tower. I'm Jay Russo. I'm Sean McGurr. You can find more information about the podcast at Two Guys to the dark tower You can also email us at 2 guys dark tower at gmail.com. In this episode, we'll cover Book 2 of the Dark Tower, the drawing of the three, The Lady of Shadows. Let's start the show! Excellent.
1: Good to be with you tonight, Jay. Same here, Sean. So for this section, Roland and Eddie meet the Lady of Shadows through the second door on the beach. And when they find her, she has two distinct personalities. Odetta Holmes, a trust fund woman fighting for civil rights in the 1960s. And Detta Walker, a hateful woman who does not take kindly to Roland and Eddie. When she's brought back to Roland's world... There looks to be more troubles beyond the lobstrosities. Before we get into the actual discussion, I've got a couple of things to mention. Hey, Jay, this is our tenth episode. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> also, a couple episodes back, we made an error. One of our constant listeners pointed out to us. Um, we referred to Bev Vincent, who's the author of one of the Dark Tower companion books as a female. And in fact, Bev Vincent is a male. So I corrected that on Twitter, but I wanted to get it on the podcast as well. Um, Bev has accepted our apology. He was uh, most gracious about it. And um, hopefully we've picked up a new listener along the way.
0: Yeah, it was kind of cool that making that mistake in some way sort of um, gave us an opportunity to get to know Bev a little bit. Exactly. And
1: Bev's got a very active Twitter handle. um, So you can, you can see him on Twitter. And then finally, before we get into our discussion, just sort of a overall warning and preface about this section. Um, As you may or may not know, Jay and I are two middle-aged white guys with, I can speak for myself, I do not have a history of any sort of Mental illness or disabilities in my family, but I know that this section covers both race and mental issues in a in a unique era. you know from a nineteen eighty seven perspective. we're gonna do our best not to step on any toes and make any errors, but uh, if we do, we're putting this apology up front.
0: Yes, we are not experts in either of those subjects, but we'll try to be thoughtful along the
1: way. Yeah, absolutely. So if we've made a mistake. Pointed out to us. I know I asked for some feedback on this section ahead of time on Twitter, and uh, we got some good feedback. I know that I think that there are people who have some problems um, with this section to begin with, uh, just in how Eddie and Roland address the issue of Odetta and Detta, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But um, you know, at the same time, we have to remember that King was writing in 1987, and some of these discussions have come a long way in the 30 years since the book was written. So. All right, having getting that all out of the way, let's get started. So again, I think I'm finding this book fascinating. It's just a great story, if nothing else. And as we get into this section, the big question I had was, why Odetta and Detta? We talked a little bit in the prisoner section about why Roland picked Eddie or why Eddie was drawn at that moment. The next question is, why as we get into the Lady of Shadow section, is Odetta and Detta drawn by Roland. So We thought we'd start there. Jay, kicking it off to you, do you have any initial thoughts on why Odetta and Detta, somebody who obviously has not only physical problems, um, Odetta has lost her legs in an accident, but also her mental health is a question. It doesn't seem like for a upcoming quest to the Dark Tower that she sort of immediately jumps to the top of the line of somebody that should be drawn.
0: Yeah, I think as puzzling as it was for somebody like Eddie to be drawn, somebody who has all of the problems inherent with drug addiction, he did still have a strength within him that in many ways sort of balanced that equation. And I think we see a new form of that with Odetta slash Detta. She has those two natures actually divided her mind as two separate personalities who until the moment of her drawing they're even unaware of each other but we do see that she is simultaneously a kind thoughtful intelligent person and somebody who is tough as nails and extremely dangerous and is nearly unstoppable or at least will not allow herself to be stopped if she is bound and determined to do something so with those two personalities still separate she's nothing but a hindrance to roland and his quest because neither one of those sides of her is enough to to really like add to the strength of the team so Mm. roland immediately sees he needs to somehow bring the best qualities of both halves of odetta and data together so that she can be a productive member of his uh, Dark Tower posse. (laughs) And,
1: you know, I think that that's a good observation that Roland is a really good judge of character from what we can see right off the bat, right? Mm. He's able to get to the core of Eddie. We talked a little bit about that in the prisoner section. Like, he understands Eddie. He he can sort of figure out his background without hearing his whole backstory, but at the same time sort of peg what is good about Eddie and how he'll be helpful. And he seems to do that with Odetta, Slash debtor right away. He's not as dumbfounded by like, oh my God, what are we going to do with this? You know, I think that's part of Roland's nature, right? It's like, okay, this is what I've got to work with. Why am I going to work with this? Yeah, and he's how so am practical I going to adapt? Yep. So at the same time though, so we've got that from Roland's perspective, but what about this character from King's perspective as an author? Why does he introduce her like this? And what are we supposed to as the reader? Take away from this character who is a very different character from Eddie in race in age, in time period in background, and oh yeah, by the way, she has not schizophrenia but uh, disassociative identity disorder, and so it, it does sort of as a reader, I think put you in a unique situation and we learn a lot about Odetta and Detta in this chapter, right her background as Odetta as a child the Injuries that have happened to her, her upbringing, the fact that she's from the South. Um, and then we get introduced to Detta, who is sort of the it almost of, of Odetta, right? The, the foul-mouthed,
0: white man-hating, petty thief. Caricature.
1: <laughs> caricature of, a yeah, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, she she's a construct of Odetta, and that's why she is this caricature. And I thought that that was actually kind of a, an interesting aspect to... The Detta personality that I I would argue that if it weren't for Odetta's economic class, level of education, and general sophistication in the world, she wouldn't have had the awareness to create this amalgam of a caricature that is Detta. You know, the over the top patois of the slang and the jive and the attitudes, and it's not real. And Eddie recognizes that immediately because he's known plenty of black people in his life from all walks of life, but he's never encountered one that talks like that except in the movies or except in a book. And he's like, this is just like, this is a fictionalized over-the-top caricature of a very specific type of black person that has never really existed except in racist stereotypes. Yep. That a black woman would become a racist stereotype as a coping mechanism is kind of fascinating, but I don't think she would ever have become that exactly if she weren't already aware of what some of those stereotypes were. Sure. And we get that in,
1: in Odetta's background, right? I mean, she is well-versed right. in the the movement. I mean, that's a big piece of, of, of her background, right? Her father came from the South. Uh, he made money in the dental business and moved North. And yet- even as a trust fund baby, she's sort of drawn back to, hey, what can I do to help my people? And she's protesting, and she's back in Oxford protesting during the movement and, and with uh, Martin Luther King and others. And so she does have this sense of what does it mean to be an African-American in this society? And you, to your point exactly, she's, she's conflating this entirely racist stereotype that's put out, and, and, and that's her second personality in the, in, in the story
0: why do you think King establishes Odetta as such a wealthy person? She's not just middle class or the average person on the street. She's like hyper wealthy. Hmm. You know, She lives in one of the more exclusive parts of Manhattan, which is already one of the more expensive places in the country to be. And she lives in an incredible apartment. She has a, a limousine and a full-time chauffeur to take her anywhere she wants to go. But we spend very little time with her in her, when in her New York as this person, so she's like almost as soon as we meet her and get to know a little bit about her, she's whisked away to Roland's world, and yep. we no longer have the advantage of like raiding her medicine closet for more uh, <laughs> Aston and maybe buy another Tudor Fist sandwich before, uh, you know, leaving New York behind. So, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, so a couple things one, it
1: distinguishes her from Detta, right? Because Detta seems to be slumming it as it were in another part of Manhattan, um, with just enough to get by. She does petty thievery, which is obviously something Odetta does not have to do at all. She's worth so much money that she would never have to steal anything, let alone costume jewelry, mm-hmm. right? Like that's that. it sets Odetta and Detta apart, but it also sets Odetta apart from Eddie in the fact that Eddie is not rich at all. He grew up in the projects as well. And so it it's a this immediate character trait. So not only is it that, but I also think it also serves to show um, her humanity, the calm humanity that Roland talks about. You know, it'd be very easy for Odetta in this relative position of wealth in New York City to move away from the movement and not risk anything, but it shows that she's willing to risk her life. Um, despite the fact that she has all this money, she's she's willing to go above and beyond. And and, and it also sets her apart from her father as well, right? And her father yeah. has has said, like, he became rich and just sort of walked away from the problem and doesn't talk about the past. And Odetta seems to face it head on. So I think that's the other piece of it, that even though she is this millionaire, she's not aloof and set apart from others, but she's still willing to be... A part of society in a very vital way. Hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Jay?
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, adding that level of wealth to the character, I, I think, does serve to further widen the distinction between the character of Odetta and all the other characters that are important in the story. Maybe like, Jake is probably the closest to to her in mm. as far as like a upper middle class New Yorker, you know, from a different time period, but still somewhat close to that as far as like economic class but eddie is certainly very poor and then roland knows nothing of what it means to be chauffeured around and things like that even though roland was basically uh you know a form of royalty in in Gilead. The world had moved on there, and that kind of stuff wasn't there. I mean, the fact that they had some city walls and the one last working electric stove in the uh, in the kingdom. I mean, that kitchen. was like, all yeah. right, we'll turn on the chandeliers once a year and call it Christmas. You know.
1: <laughs> so the the Deda Odeta character is really fascinating. You know, I think we already mentioned it that Roland is able to immediately sort of peg them that they're separate people. You know, he notices it as they're coming through the door. It doesn't get spoken about until a little bit later in the chapter, but you know, he notices it right away. Like there's something going on in this mind that is different than when I was in Eddie's mind. And he says to himself, "Um, I will have to bring the two of them to battle. He thought if the bright one, Odetta were to win that battle, all might yet be well If dark one to win it. All would surely be lost with her. Um, so he can tell already that he needs both halves of these people, but he really needs to make sure that if one of them is going to win out, it has to be Odetta because that is dangerous. Um, he knows that right away. And you could see that throughout this chapter is Eddie is very wary. And like, anytime she wakes up, like, oh, is it going to be Odetta? Is it going to be Detta? Is it going to be Odetta? Is it going to be Detta? Yeah. You know, and Roland, Roland is wary in a different way. Like he's not nervous about it, but just sort of like, okay if she's Detta, what am I going to have to do about it? Very practical as Roland always is.
0: Right. And, and I think Roland also has as good a, a judge of character as he is. He's also a good judge of uh, how dangerous a person is. And I think he sees just how dangerous Detta is and has this level of respect for that level of dangerous. Like, mm. you know, he's like, you this, this woman is unstoppable. If I let her loose, She could like tear down the world. And if I can merge those two personalities so that she's somebody who I can talk to and trust and have on my side in a fight, that would be a big win for for Roland and his quest.
1: He's also using it as a learning experience for Eddie at the same time, right? So, yeah, Eddie needs to be trained as well. And, you know, he can tell Eddie until he's blue in the face hey, watch out for her. Watch out for her. And Eddie's like, yep, yep, I will watch out for her. I will watch out for her. And Mm -hmm. Eddie, of course, falls asleep. And Roland doesn't take the overly, hey, I'm going to be fatherly and protect you before anything bad happens. He's going to say, okay, I'm going to show you what's going to happen if you're not careful, like I warned you to, and just get it far enough that, okay, now I've learned my lesson. So it's a learning moment for for Eddie. He learns it the hard way, right? With the... uh, as Deda wakes up in the middle of the night attempting to kill him.
0: <laughs> yeah, it comes at the cost of a smashed face. Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting how, just from like a psychological perspective, this, this magical element of the story of the door and how the door works and how it allows Roland to enter the mind and the psyche of this person who he is drawing into his world it's also this way of like actually getting to know, at this you know, in the real world, something in a way that would be impossible. Uh, that when he enters Eddie's mind, he meets the mind of a person who is mentally stable and and aware and smart. But when he goes into Odetta's mind, he's confronted with two different identities. But it also opens up a window between those two minds, and they, for the first time, realize each other. But what they didn't realize was that unconsciously, they were avoiding the truth of each other. They're avoiding the the reality that the other existed. And it was when Roland stepped in and opened that window that they had to confront that fact. And it's also the reason why Roland could immediately and instinctively understand what is wrong with Odetta's mind. And in a way that perhaps decades of psychotherapy and <laughs> you know uh, laying on, on the, uh, the therapist's couch and who knows what kind of, of uh, perhaps prescription drugs and, and, and things like that could ever get her to a point of merging those two personalities in a way that was healthy and whole and also roland's instantaneous understanding of what's going on and the, that accurate appraisal of what's going on i think it would be enough to make like freud or adler who king uh, mentions specifically at the beginning of this chapter you know that would be their eureka moment like yep. like i've been i've been theorizing that type of thing in my work but i have no way to prove it cuz i can't magically step into the mind of another person and here roland gets to do just that yep You know, and not to leave Eddie out, he, to some extent, he's
1: willing to confront Odetta in a way that the people in Odetta's life in 1960s Manhattan are unable to do. So her chauffeur doesn't say anything, right? Like, even when she's been gone for three weeks missing in her Detta persona, Mm -hmm. he doesn't ask, like, where have you been? There's something wrong. You haven't been around. And part of that might be due to her wealth, right? Like, the chauffeur doesn't want to lose his job. The doorman at the building doesn't want to lose his job. Uh, The doctor who saves her life when she gets hit by the subway, he doesn't see her again to to sort of work this out. But Eddie and Roland are able to confront her and say, hey, here's what's happening. Eddie's the one who points out, hey, you're telling me this story, but it doesn't match up. You're wearing the jewelry that you say you don't wear. Like, these are all the things that they're able to say and do that other people won't. So, Okay, so all that is interesting just in itself. So you've got this split personality, you know, coming through the doorway, Odetta and Detta. And I think a lot of what we're seeing in this battle between Odetta and Detta and this awkward split personality almost comes out in the structure and the writing style of this section. So, you know, this is 10 years before Pulp Fiction and um, there isn't a whole lot of you know, people might not be used to as many time shifts that happen here, but we get a lot of jumping around, and not just the jumping around between Roland's world and nineteen sixties America, but even in the style of the way the story's told, where we get little pieces of information, they hint at what's to come, and there's this back and forth uh, throughout the this section. And I, I think of it in terms of that sort of the mental state of Odetta and Detta. Nothing's really linear there. There's these Gaps in time that become filled in later on. Um, There's these odd cuts between one personality and the other. And I think that that's shown in the way that King's writing this this section.
0: Did you notice any of that, Jay? I think I reacted in a similar way that, that you just described. I kind of felt like, or perhaps suspected, that King purposely jumbled the structure of his writing to make us feel like we were Odetta. And I think that he did that very successfully because I have been conditioned by things like Pulp Fiction and other movies that are just, you know, unstuck in time that I'm used to it now. It's not jarring to me. Sure. Like I've learned, I've learned to speak with that accent or something, but it definitely puts you in that mindset because this is very, this is a very different structure than the section on Eddie. And I think uh, King is being very crafty in in having the structure of his writing and the structure of the narrative feel disjointed in the way that perhaps this person with two personalities, actually, it's not personalities, but with with two identities, really, um, is navigating her reality, uh, making up pieces of time that don't exist so that she doesn't think that there are gaps and filling in those pieces. And things aren't happening in chronological order. Yeah. And, you know,
1: just to point out one specific example, you know, Dada wakes up in the middle of the night is convinced that she had been raped by Eddie and Roland in the middle of the night. And even though we know that that's not the case and it didn't happen, but she believes it, right? I mean, Odetta and Dada have put together this mm-hmm. act so much that they believe what they think, even if it's not necessarily the truth as we know it. Um And it takes some unraveling to get there. And even for us as the reader, it takes an unraveling to figure out, okay, what's happening? When's it happening? And how is this, is this section going? Anything else you wanted to point out about the writing style of this section? You know, I think we continue to see sort of the, for me, one of the big interesting pieces was, you know, we've got another character in the mix. So we've got, and really two characters, if you consider Odette and Detta separate, um, a lot more discussion between now we've got three or four people as opposed to just sort of the back and forth between Eddie and Roland. But is there anything else in this section that you wanted to point
0: out from a, a writing style from King? Well, there was the, um, the mention of the, the Bob Dylan song, which I thought was, uh, a nice, nice touch when, um, this is something I actually put out on, on Facebook a couple days ago about how, like, the smallest things can resurrect old memories and even tap into a, a zeitgeist that you may not realize that you have or that is within you. And Eddie gets a chill just from the words Oxford Town because it's the place where that it just went to. And it's the thing that Dylan wrote the song about. And Eddie's got this little jingle of half of a lyric stuck in his head from when he was like three years old and he doesn't even know what the song is or who wrote the song or its significance but it still has this ability to to chill him to his bones and you know make his skin crawl in a way that connects him to odetta and her very recent life experiences by the time odetta meets eddie the song existed but I don't know if she would have been like familiar with it, familiar with the song. Right. Um, probably she would have known the song, but she was talking about the real thing, the thing the song was about. and yeah, Exactly. Because of the song, even though it only touched him in a, with this very tangential way, Eddie understood a little bit more about it than he would have otherwise. Even if Odetta had just explained the whole thing to him and told him the whole story about what happened in Oxford town he wouldn't have had the same experience if he hadn't also known that bit of the song. Sure.
1: And at the same time, he armchair diagnoses Odetta with schizophrenia based on what he's picked up from not only the three faces of Eve, but also the uh, soap operas that he used to watch when he was high with his brother in the apartment, not working uh-huh. was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> I saw that on one life to live. I know exactly what that is. So, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, we're not immune from that as well. I mean, you and I have made any number of pop culture references when discussing these books. Um, and in fact, five, 10 minutes ago, when we were talking about it, we mentioned Unstuck in Time, which I'm sure many of our readers are like, oh yeah, that's Kurt Vonnegut, isn't it? Slaughterhouse-Five, <laughs> yeah. that's what they're talking about. I mean, so even if we're not doing it up front, we're still getting that apart. So I think that that's uh, another thing that King obviously is able to to hone in on.
0: Yeah. I mean, even King himself misdiagnoses Odetta. He begins this section of the book with a quote from Adler, defining what a schizophrenic is in a way to essentially tell us that's what Odetta is. Like Odetta is the perfect textbook definition of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. But a modern definition of schizophrenia is absolutely not what... Exactly. that is. Yep. <laughs> I don't know if the definitions have changed or maybe just the science has advanced to the point where we understand these are different things.
1: But And even our understanding, yeah, even the layperson's understanding of it has changed too in the past 30 years too, I'm sure. So mm. um, this is another section where we get a lot of cultural references. So not only the ones we've pointed out, but, you know, movies, TV, you know, Slang is a big a big piece in this uh, section, too, is we've get Eddie's mid- eighties slang versus Odetta's sixties slang and just sort of the references between sort of their cultural gap that they have, even though they grew up in the same America and and in New York City, there's just this big gap between a black woman in the 60s versus a young white man in the 80s and just what they know and can talk through.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing them swap slang from their respective times. And I really liked the way that Eddie kind of thinks of the, the differences between them, that they were speaking to each other from separate islands and the water between them was time. Thought that was uh, one of the better lines of this section of the book for sure. And uh, yeah. I think it, it stated it really, really nicely that just like every age, every generation, even every five years, there's always new slang. And when somebody hears the old guy use the new slang, it never sounds right and vice versa. And it's so, and they were just far enough apart. And in a time period when maybe not as much of the local slang or the time period slang or the cultural slang, like, had overlaps or, or there wasn't, you know, today we watch TV shows and movies that tell us all about what people unlike ourselves do and how they live or how they lived in the past or things like that. And so it's easy for us to, even if we don't live it or adopt it, we are at least familiar enough with it that if somebody says, oh, that's not my bag, we know kind of what they mean. But Eddie's sure. like baffled by what, what do you mean by bag? You know, I'm not going grocery shopping. What are you talking about, lady? You know, it's like, really? Why don't you get It's Not My Bag? So you're saying that urbandictionary.com
1: was not available to Eddie or... Uh, it was, or was a,
0: a nascent website back then, I think.
1: <laughs> you actually had to go to the library and check out Urban Dictionary. Uh, it was it was a reference book, though, so we, they kept it behind the counter. The librarians wouldn't let it out. Yeah,
0: and the librarian gave you, like, really judgy looks when you asked for it. <laughs>
1: But if there's one thing that crosses all matter of time and space, it's motherfucker. Eddie knows motherfucker. That's right. Detta has a little bit of a twist on it. It's mafa, but we get the we get the idea. Yeah. It's very clear to both Roland and and Eddie what she's saying when she calls them honk mafas.
0: That's right. And of course it always like cheers my heart cuz motherfucker is my favorite word. <laughs> so every time I got to read Detta just go off onto one of her uh, her rants that usually began, ended, and somewhere in the middle a couple of times had honk mafa and this that Mafa. I was just like, he <laughs>
1: And I just love, you know, Roland's obliviousness to, you know, it my my favorite is still the clearing of customs that when you go to the priest and you go through the clearing of customs procedure. But um when he says, uh she thinks I'm from <laughs> a race of people called the Honk Mafas, that's just sort of uh <laughs>
0: Indeed you are, Roland. Indeed you are.
1: So uh, I know there's been a lot said about how the movie is going to deal with this interaction because Idris Elba is, of course, black. And whether or not there will be the same sort of interaction between um, Deda and Idris Elba's character of Roland in,
0: in the upcoming yeah. movie. But, um, it's going to we'll make less if- sense for, for her to call Idris Elba... Gray meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I'm sure the I'm sure they'll work
1: way around that, assuming in fact that there is a movie, which um, we're taping this in early March and
0: there has still yet to be a trailer. So I no longer believe that there is a movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think Andy Kaufman is has been creating this movie in his head and it's just one last prank on us. All right. So we've now got three slash four people that have changed the dynamics of the group. So gunslinger, we just get roland with a little bit of jake along the way in the prisoner section we get roland and eddie and their sort of buddy movie section and now we get eddie and roland and odetta and Detta. and this really sort of changes the character dynamics of the group um and the first one is that eddie almost immediately falls in love with odetta <laughs> like roland brings her through the door Uh, They have a talk. They're comforting one another. You know, they've obviously been through a traumatic experience together getting pulled into this alien world, but there's more Mm -hmm. to it than that, I think. I mean, it's not just a bonding over a traumatic experience. It's, you know, Eddie's looking into her eyes and saying, wow, this woman's something else.
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny, just a moment ago, you were saying like, you know, there might be other worlds than these and the... The, the thing that crosses time and space is, and I thought you were going to say love, but you said motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> one and the same. I mean, basically yeah. synonyms, and, aren't they? <laughs> and as far as I'm concerned, they are, because, funny story, I once told one of my best friends, who I've been friends with since college, so this is like, uh, you know, we've been really really close friends for for the 20 years. I said to him one day, just kind of randomly, I think calling somebody motherfucker is just another way of saying, I love you so every once in a while. We don't see each other that often, but like just be walking past each other and kind of, kind of look at each other and go like, motherfucker. And then he knows. And he's since adopted this with his wife. Like every once in a while, he'll like kind of just like catch his wife's eye and say, motherfucker. And, <laughs> and they know what they mean. So so I thought that was like an interesting uh, overlap of my my perception of that word, and and how it connects me to my friends and loved ones. Very nice. And you, we're all we're all quickly learning for those of you who've been
1: following the podcast since uh, we started why we made that change from clean to explicit in iTunes. <laughs> it was also that Jay could have his moment in the sun saying "motherfucker" over and over again. <laughs>
0: Also, I could stop censoring myself in general conversation too. <laughs> but yeah, I I think it it's amazing that Eddie falls in love with Odetta so quickly that he doesn't even seem to realize it himself. But of course, Roland, being the extremely perceptive honk mafia that he is, he he knows it, and he knows that this is actually at this stage another danger uh, to the group and to the group dynamic that. If Eddie lets his guard down because of his these feelings, feelings that he doesn't even fully comprehend um, that he has, uh, it could spell danger. It, it could mean that he might get hurt or allow Roland to be hurt because he trusts too much. Sure.
1: The The nice thing too about Roland is he, and I think we see it even more so in this section. So the shuffle section was a lot of Eddie hating Roland because of what roland what he what he thinks Roland has done to him, taken away his life and brought him into this world, and not allowed him to go get Popeye's chicken, bringing in Odetta and detta, you know Roland and Eddie become much more supportive of each other, almost like we saw at the end of the prisoner' section when they were talking about oh, this is going to be their way to the tower, but they're cracking the occasional jokes with each other, they're sort of being supportive, you know when as you said, when Rolly, Roland sort of sees that Eddie's falling in love, he, I'll go get water from the hills and leave you two alone for, <laughs> yeah. a, for a moment, you know? Um, yeah, these these long know, throat-clearing
0: moments, like, <laughs> I guess I'll make myself scarce. I'll
1: go get water, even though I'm dying of fever right now and it's a long walk to the fresh Um Yeah, but like Roland and Eddie have become more supportive of each other. They're becoming more... Um, sort of understanding of what is needed and how they're going to all have to work together and Roland's being just sort of understanding where where they need to be and um I think you pointed out that you know there's a, a place where Roland says to Eddie you could be a gunslinger I needn't be the last after all it's in you Eddie I see it I feel it you know he's starting to right really build Eddie up in some way and showing him that he is going to be useful on this quest.
0: So uh, there's a lot of good
1: pieces here with uh, Roland and Eddie, I thought. Yeah, even the
0: the moment when like Roland claps Eddie on the shoulder and it, it startles both of them. They're, they're, that moment of affection is like, you know, Eddie's like, wait, did that just happen? And Roland's kind of <laughs> like, why did I just do that? I'm probably going <laughs> to sacrifice this guy uh, at some point on the quest because I'm just a heartless bastard. But <laughs>
1: here I go again. <laughs> That, that that's Roland for you.
0: Hey, I love you and all, but the tower's all there is, man. Yeah, I mean, Roland thought the same thing of Jake. He thought if this this boy were allowed to grow into a man and and be trained along the way, he could be a gunslinger. Mm-hmm. But it became pretty apparent that that would never happen because Jake would not live that long. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Roland has the same expectation of Eddie that like it seemed like at the end of the Gunslinger or the halfway through the gunslinger, Roland had figured out and made, or accepted the fact that Jake was a sacrifice to reach the man in black. And then it's made explicit to him by the man in black. There isn't anybody telling Roland, Eddie needs to die for you to succeed.
1: Hmm. But
0: Roland is just, I think a pragmatist to a fault and says, this is a dangerous life. We live. This is a quest that requires, you know, extreme effort, bad conditions, and deadly foes, it's not gonna work out nicely for anybody. But there's a difference there. One's like yeah. you have to let somebody die. The other is you you are building a a cadre of soldiers to help you. And the, the, the latter feels more positive and more encouraging. Yes. So it's like maybe Roland says it's okay if I let myself become attached to these people Mm, even though they probably will die miserable painful deaths (laughs) no spoilers i'm just talking generalities here sure you're sure of course so this section of
1: the book doesn't really you know we get hints of of roland thinking i need to bring these two folks together oh and Detta, and that's that's going to be my way of solving it um but we don't get to that conclusion. I mean, the conclusion we get to is that Eddie realizes, Hey, debt is dangerous. Um, and really our only next step is to get to the third door because Roland is dying. We need to get him more antibiotics or he's going to die of fever. Mm-hmm. Um, we're running out of bullets and we're going to have to start smashing lobstrosities for our food. And that's going to be dangerous. And who knows yep. what that is going to do to us in our sleep. Um, so it's sort of Empire Strikes Back ending where we're not in a very good spot when we get to the end of this uh, section with the Lady of Shadows as things are, are on the ropes for our, our heroes. What other things did you want to point out in this section before we leave our audience today, Jay?
0: I'd say there were a couple of things in this section that I started thinking of as, huh, moments. Because <laughs> these are not so much as like, Errors, like the way we talked about which way is north and west and all that stuff last time, but it's more like throughout this section, they are pushing Odetta's wheelchair along the beach. Now, anybody who's tried to push anything on wheels through sandy or pebbly terrain knows that that's a major pain in the butt. So you immediately can picture how difficult this must be. Then you add to that equation a person sitting in the chair who absolutely wants to ruin your day in any way she can. So it occurred to me, and I admit it did not occur to me until just a couple of days ago when I was thinking about this, why didn't they modify her wheelchair to make their lives a little easier? In the prisoner section, or maybe it was the shuffle section, Eddie creates a travois to drag behind him up the beach. Clearly there's enough lumber or tree branches or something, or maybe even that very same, uh, pile of sticks that he had could be lashed to the sides of her wheelchair and turn it into a rickshaw, raise the front wheels off of the ground, lean it back on a slight angle and pull it behind you. It would be a world easier. And I'm kind of like dumbfounded that it never occurred to me reading this so many times over the years (laughs) I don't know if it occurred to King, but it clearly didn't occur to the characters in the story. And am I being too cynical to think that King did this just so that we could have that one line of, now Eddie's the pusher, yeah. aha, you know? Which is a good line. You got to admit. Like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really makes Detta
1: angry. So I didn't notice it either till you pointed it out. And the more I think about it, the more I think, yeah, that would have been the way to go. Like They could have even figured out a way... You know, even if they didn't want to pull the wheelchair, even almost take it apart, you know, like just one person carries the wheels while the other one drags her on the chair. Yeah, there's so many ways that they could have done this that could have worked. Or or
0: turn it into the, um, what do you call the thing that uh, you always see like the pharaohs being carried on and a litter or something? Yeah, right. You know, like. Uh, make it so that both of these strong men can carry a, each end and they carry the weight of the wheelchair and the, the woman sitting in it or or just put her in it. And I don't know. It's like there could have been other ways to deal with this that didn't involve being at the mercy of her shenanigans and also dealing with the sand and the wheels and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Put put the wheels on like sled pieces or something like there You're right.
0: Anyhow. <laughs> Alright, so my... Oh, it would have taken two sticks and some shoelaces, and they would have been okay. So I have a, a little huh
1: moment, as we're calling them. Um, mm-hmm. There's two mentions of the Shining movie in this section. Obviously, from, uh. obviously from Eddie's perspective, since the Shining wasn't around uh, during Odetta's time, and Roland would not have any uh, mention of it. So, you know, this, th- this becomes a is Stephen King a person in Eddie's world that he's able to have watched a movie based on a Stephen King story? Like that's just sort of the, Whoa, my mind's totally blown by this whole place in time that Stephen King's writing a story in which there's a Stephen King movie that we can reference or is the shining movie totally separated from Stephen King?
0: Or this could just be King trolling Kubrick because he just, to this day, (laughs) like just, does not like that movie and thinks it's a terrible adaptation of his book. It was a topiary, not a maze.
1: At the same time, th- didn't he like the Shining TV adaptation starring Steven
0: Weber? Yes, I believe he did like that. Of Wings fame? <laughs> yes, of Wings fame. <laughs> not of the Shining TV
1: series fame. Probably the first and last time anybody has heard the, episode, the TV
0: show Wings mentioned on a podcast. Tune in to next week's episode when we talk about Tony Shalhoub all day. <laughs> you could do worse.
1: So the final huh moment I had, and you started to address this a little bit, Jay, is how do these doors work, these magic doors? So we talked a little bit about like, is Roland the one who's making them appear? Is it some other power? Like, is that part of his drawing that these doors appear? And the real question yeah. that I had in this section was, why does the door disappear when roland inside of Detta's head comes through it like they come through eddie looks and he sees the door sort of freeze at the moment when they've come through and then it just sort of shrinks down and and fades away and it poof it's gone and eddie and roland were able to go in and out of that door multiple times in the prisoner section and this is sort of a one-time only thing and i was trying to figure out what's sort of the metaphysics of how this all works is it the door is only able to be, the door disappears once it's no longer needed and it goes away. Or is there something more to it than that? Any thoughts?
0: Yeah, a couple things. Uh, I mean, for one, it feels like these doors are very much connected to Roland. There's something, hmm. whether Roland realizes it or not. I think the this magic comes from him. the The man in black tells him something along those lines that you have within you the power to do this. So I think because of that, if we want to just Extrapolate from there, Roland instinctively knows how to operate these doors and how to operate through them and within them. And maybe he has like kind of an unconscious control over them. So, in the moment when he is fleeing Odetta's world while he's taking control of Odetta's body, running from the, uh, the store security, yep. he knows that he needs to get through the door and shut it and seal it so that they don't have any trouble. I guess, like he's made that decision. The best case scenario is we get through this door, no questions asked. And that's exactly what happens. What happens is what needs to happen. For Eddie's door, what needed to happen was that they needed to kind of go back and forth a few times in service of helping Eddie smuggle his drugs. And because Roland's figuring this out and he's he's controlling the door to suit his needs, uh unconsciously i guess um he was able to do that even though i said all that though it still kind of aggravates me a little bit because i think once you even if it's a fantasy story and we're dealing with magic and sorcery and whatever you still need to sort of establish the baseline rules and then live with those rules live with those metrics and if we spend all of the prisoner section telling us this is how the doors work, and then the very next door we encounter works differently. It feels like a cheat, or maybe just a flub. I don't know. Just um, there's no reason why they couldn't have just slammed the door in the security guard's face and then reopened it, or let him come through and went and then did another Jack Andolini on him. You know, it's like yep. that would have sucked for that guy, but we didn't need to have the door just poof out of existence. And even the way the door shut forever when Roland Roland had to physically close Eddie's door and only when he did that did it shut with this clang of finality and then fall over onto the beach. Yeah. And stopped being a a portal to this other world. For Odetta's door, it just you know vanished. Yeah. They didn't have to close it. So that's kind of why, yeah, I would would classify this as a huh. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Well at least there was no uh directional errors that we caught in this section. So the the chapter's got that going for it yeah good job, Stephen King. You didn't make any errors. <laughs> Two guys are not judging you on the errors you made. Oh world famous writer
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Do you have anything else, Jay, or should we wrap this up?
0: Uh, I think we can wrap it
1: up all right. well, we do thank Stephen King, despite all the uh jocularity there for. Another entertaining chapter. I think um you and I are both enjoying the drawing of the three quite a bit. I know I've been interacting with some folks on Twitter. And they love it as well. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, the next part of this book. So that's going to be all for this episode of Two Guys to the Dark Tower came. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Links to all of our contact information is available in the show notes. You can email us at twoguysdarktower at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash twoguysdarktower. And our Twitter handle is at twoguysdarktower. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. On our next episode, join us as we cover book two of The Dark Tower, The Drawing of the Three, the reshuffle section. It's about 30 pages long. For Jay Russo, I'm Sean McCurr. Thanks for listening.